Welcome to Irish Illustrated Insider. It's April 11th, Monday. Tim Priester and Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated. Pete Sampson back with us from The Athletic. And uh, the other day we had an opportunity to talk to the three most powerful names on the Notre Dame football staff. Marcus Freeman, Al Golden, Tommy Reese. Gentlemen, why don't you start with uh, with your thoughts on on our discussions with the, the three top coaches at Notre Dame? In, I very because much we, I have been part yeah. of the uh, 104 play scrimmage that they opened up talking <laughs> that about. would have been better. <laughs> that would have been the best thing possible. Uh, yeah, I, I, I did take away from that scrimmage though because I think they're really he's, he is not shying away from competition, finding out what what he has leaving this spring. I think it's a great idea. I know every time somebody gets hurt, someone else gets mad that they're hitting too much in the sport of football six months before the season is played. So. My takeaway is I, I like the compete level Freeman is bringing to the team. It seems to be not just well, – let's put it this way. We used to always joke about the, the previous thing with Brian Kelly where they're thudding or they're, you know, they're, they're thudding the runner. Like, what's thudding the runner? Well, we hit it with the pad as hard as we can. Okay, all right. That's, that sounds like it's going to be exactly right, exactly where the game's going to go. So I, I do like the approach by Freeman, and I think it's, I think it's needed um, – from a head coach that is otherwise absolutely adored by his players to go out and test them to compete the whole time. I would agree with that. I, I think it's worth noting that the thudding of in practice worked just fine with Mike Elko and Clark Lee and Marcus Freeman. So it's not like worse, worse with the, Brian Van Gorder. You're saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. It didn't, I'm, I'm sure they hit all the time with Van Gorder, but uh so whatever they're they have been doing in practice has worked just fine. Um, but if you're trying to create a mentality that's a little bit different, if you're trying to put your own stamp on it, um, and the, which is what Marcus Freeman is trying to do, I get it. Um, you know, Brian Kelly had talked in the past about there have been practices where they were just trying to get through it and they had to make an, a, an adjustment to the practice moving forward. That's what Marcus Freeman talked about over the weekend. So I, I realize, and we'll talk about Brian Kelly here in a minute, but the reaction is like, we we're looking for everything that's different from what Brian Kelly used to do to Marcus Freeman. Brian Kelly knows how to run a successful college football program. So I, I, I like also hearing things from Marcus Freeman that remind me of how Brian Kelly ran the operation because what he did worked incredibly well. I know a lot of people are always asking, you know, what do you see different or what do you hear different? How are the coaches coaching it different? And I, I think those are more nuances than any huge big picture stuff. Although the few times that we have seen them, there has been a greater degree of physicality. Now, you know, the injuries have been kept to a minimum, knocking on wood with four practices to go. Um, Aiden K and I now being one of the exceptions. But I do like the physicality, and you do have to do that in the spring. And do you have to be a little bit more careful with Michael Mayer? Certainly. But Michael Mayer has to take some contact, too, which he has. So, uh, you know, I think those are all good things. I, I do want to talk. I wrote about this the other day, and, you know, the talk about the quarterback accuracy. I would like to be able to take that for gospel, uh, but I don't <laughs> know that I, I don't know that, that I can, especially with the state of the wide receiver core. Uh, but I think by and large that that is true. And I've really liked the way that Tyler Buckner is throwing the football when we've, when we've seen him, when Tommy Reese says he didn't know who threw the interception late, but he knows who didn't. Yeah, I would assume, I would assume that that's Tyler Buckner, maybe Tyler Buckner, Andrew Pine, but I would assume that Tyler Buckner is definitely 
who he had in mind uh, when he made that comment. So if the accuracy is good with the receiving core against the secondary that we think we're seeing some progress, that's huge. Now, it doesn't mean anything until you get in game situations. And the way they've been, I wrote about this the other day, I mean, the way that they protected the football with Ian Book and Jack Cohn, they threw 23 interceptions in just shy of 1,500 passes. That's that's like one every 63 or 66. I, I think it was booked that threw one every 66 uh, passes for interception. So that's great accuracy, but it doesn't mean anything until you go to the you go to the shoe and play, yeah. you know, the Buckeyes and and see if you can protect a football. I don't think there's I don't think there's any doubt that there will be more interceptions in 2022 than there were the seven that Jack Cone threw six or seven. I think it was seven. Um, you know, just because you have young quarterbacks and that's going to happen. But I think that's a really good thing uh, if that's accurate. And I'd like to believe that it is mostly accurate through 11 practices this spring. Let's talk about, and I do want, we will, uh, of course, hit on Brian Kelly, but Tennessee State was added to the uh, to the schedule in 2023. It'll be the first time the Notre Dame does not play an FBS school. Um. It's a it's a great gesture on Notre Dame's part. It gets Eddie George a, 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 a strong acquaintance of of Marcus Freeman in Notre Dame Stadium uh, for the first time since the mid nineties. Uh, Pete, we haven't we've done a couple podcasts without you. Um, why don't we start with you and your thoughts on Notre Dame scheduling Tennessee State? I I I like the move um, in terms of it being an inclusive decision. And I also think it sort of puts your money where your mouth is. If you're Notre Dame, if you're talking about celebrating Juneteenth and some of the things that Notre Dame did a couple summers ago, uh, there is no greater resource at Notre Dame than its football schedule. And so to share that with a HBCU, I think says a lot about Notre Dame's priorities in general. I I'm not a huge fan of like the UNLV Western Michigan styles of games. Um, I think those have sort of become a necessary part of college football scheduling. I wish that Notre Dame played one instead of two of those. Um, you know, this year it's Marshall and UNLV or before it was Bowling Green and uh, Mexico. New Mexico in the same season. So not a, not a huge fan of that turn of scheduling, but um I think in the, in a similar, I'm not saying in the same, but I'm saying in a similar way that when Notre Dame plays a service Academy, it shares a very powerful spotlight with uh, an important part of our country. Um, Army, Navy, Air Force. I think doing it with the HBCU is uh, also kind of cool. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of factors when you look at it from the scheduling perspective. Um, one is you couldn't really play it somewhere else. I mean, it had to be there or the next week. Um, you know, you're not, you're not, I don't, I don't think the notion of playing it later in the year makes as much sense as people were arguing, like, you know, how the SEC has their bye week in November by playing a team uh, at FCS team or a really low level FBS team. I think it made sense where it's going if they really, or as Pete's saying, not just doing lip service if you're actually trying to offer a showcase to an historically black college and you're putting your money where your mouth is because you're losing money on the deal. If you're Notre Dame too, it's not, 
they're, they're not going to have the same influx of people. Well, like they will from Tennessee State fans, but they're not going to have the same influx of Notre Dame fans for that game. It's just the way it is. Uh, it, it, in terms of purely on the field, Navy, Tennessee State, and Central Michigan over a four-week span is about the worst beginning you're going to find to a football schedule, right? Yeah. Um, it's, so that, that part's tough. I also learned that people get mad at more things than I ever imagined possible. Like the, the people that are that angry about this, God, Lee, I mean, it's, you don't see some of the good and some of the bad in this situation. Of course, it's not all good. You're playing an FCS team for the first time. At least you're playing an FCS team for the first time for a reason, right? Can you, can you find yes. a silver lining when you're playing an FCS team for the first time in this, in this situation? E- you should yeah. easily be able to do that. Um, I really do not see the difference between playing an FCS team and playing UNLV. I agree. I don't. Uh, and, and UMass and those teams. Um, oh, and God. Then, and then UMass. The, the other hard part is if your team is, I mean, the dumbest teams to play are Toledo. The ones that can rise up. The ones that are decent. You know, when you see them, like, well, how do we have Toledo coming in? That, then you should play UMass. If you're going to play Toledo, play UMass. Because losing believe, Toledo is the worst thing you could possibly do. I believe UMass. that. Of 130 FBS teams last year, 115 played in FCS school. I And the whole, like, we've never played an FCS trophy that Notre Dame has somewhere. I don't know where. Like, you can trade that in no problem. That 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 is a byproduct of, like, ne- just happenstance. Well, that's kind of um, why I said the silver lining. Yeah, it is a byproduct of happenstance because for 20 years, until 20 years ago, I don't think Notre Dame was trumpeting that. We never played no, FCS I don't. Before. I don't think they probably had realized. Like, I don't know if F, did FCS exist back then. I don't even know. I don't know when FCS became a thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you go back far enough, and I, you know, I don't know. Uh, you know, Drake. I, you know, I don't know where Drake falls in the category. I, of Notre Dame FBS has a uh, has has beaten DePaul and Wabash in the past. Right, so, that's like, true. And, and American Medical, one hundred and forty-two to nothing. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I think that I think the FBS streak is. I mean, it, it's a prideful thing to say, but it really, in accordance with what you're saying, Pete, I mean, I, I really don't think that that matters. If anybody should should be scheduling into HBCU school, it's Notre Dame. And, and I think yeah. that that, I think from that standpoint, that's a, that's a great thing, especially Pete, you mentioned about Juneteenth and what happened on the Notre Dame campus a couple of summers ago. That was a powerful, were you there that day? I was, yeah. I mean, that was a, yeah. When Myron Tongavailoa, most yeah. Spoke, I mean, I think, that, that, yeah. Hayes I was and, that, yeah. that was a. I mean, for me, that was a powerful moment as a Notre Dame person that I mean, literally grew up on the campus of Notre Dame. Um, you know, I thought that that was a. I, I thought that was a powerful statement, and from that standpoint, it's a good thing. Now, uh, I, a couple of people there. We had a couple of questions. I know Keenan, one of our longtime loyal subscribers, asked about. Uh, had a question about this about playing two cupcakes and and navy i don't really think i mean i wouldn't and i and tim i agree with you i mean starting the season the way they yeah. do that's a that's a really really soft start to the season it kind of but it I, kind of announces your soft start to the season when it's like that yeah it's yeah that's it, a lot of teams do it yeah it would be great to to insert tennessee state later in the season like the sec does with, uh, you know, I mean, Alabama played Mercer and uh, Louisiana Monroe last year. Uh, but my point about Navy is I don't necessarily, maybe you guys disagree, but I don't know that you look at Navy in the same way that you do a lot of other teams, just because the style of, first of all, the tr- the history of Notre Dame playing that, but just 
the style of play. No one wants to play Navy. I mean, because of the adjustment that you have to make in seven days. You have to have played them to think that, though. Is, you know what I mean? Like no, Ohio, that's State, true. Ohio State is like, yeah, that wasn't fun. I mean, we don't need we don't need that. That's, that's right. Not, and and Notre Dame like, seems to have, know that. It's, Notre Dame, see, at least Brian Kelly at the end of it, they kind of figured they figured it out against. They sure Nancy. did. Oh yeah, he really did. Um, you know, on, on both sides of on both sides of the ball. So um, I don't know that you know any committee deciding whether Notre Dame is going to make the playoffs or not is going to look at Navy and say, yeah, but look, they played Navy because I, just because of the curveball that playing Navy throws you. I, I think you look at that a little bit differently. All right, let's, let's replace Toledo with Tennessee State last year, but Notre Dame beats Cincinnati. They're in the playoff, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, what the, the schedule does, essentially, Notre Dame is going to play a three-game schedule in 2023. Right, now. but let me put, so obviously they're in at 12-0. and 0. Let's say we replace Toledo with Tennessee State. Notre Dame beats Tennessee State by 45. And they still lose to Cincinnati. They still finish fifth, not eighth. No one's like, yeah. wow. I mean, they 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 had a, a tough Toledo team come in here. The Mac was, you know, there was a solid. Yeah, it's not like the, I've heard people describe this as like a lose lose. It's it it's not any more of a lose lose than UNLV or Toledo or UMass. Right. It's just yeah, it's the I same kind of game. I, you know, I'm putting a little bit more weight on playing BYU in Vegas. I, I just think that that's a bit of a wild card, and we're also assuming that that. Marcus Freeman is going to have his team ready to beat every unranked team that he plays the yeah. way Brian Kelly did. And I, I, that's a difficult assumption. We're now taking, we're taking for granted that Notre Dame should beat every unranked team. And I mean, well, I can, Kelly, I can, li- I can list uh, to do that. I mean, it took Brian Kelly. No, five, it did, it did take him that it. long. And I can, I mean, I can tell you about a three, nothing loss to Missouri in Notre Dame stadium under Eric Parsegian, you know, which which can you imagine now? I mean, losing three nothing at home. Any Notre Dame coach? I can't would... imagine losing three nothing a football game these days. That would be something. Else. <laughs> yeah, no, really, impossible. And, and that's a that's a million years ago. I realize that, but I, you know, I North Carolina's on the schedule again, and and I know the Notre Dame's beaten them twice. It hasn't been real easy the last two years when they've beaten them. But anyway, um, that's. I mean, that, that's it. Notre Dame made the decision. Uh, I, I, I support, first of all, I support Notre Dame's schedule, whoever the hell they want. I mean, what are we, what are we talking, what are we talking about here? I mean, I think if you go fan point of view, that's a really weak beginning to a season. No, that's, it is. That's a, that's a great you can have. No, it is. And I understand, you know, I understand that a, an 11 and one Notre Dame team, it might be, it's might be a little bit I, more, depending on how it unfolds. I, don't I, think, I know what you just I don't said. Think, unless that other team was Tennessee. I don't think so. I think if that team was Akron, it would be the exact same thing. Yeah. No, and I think I Akron could go nine and three and nobody would be like, well, Akron, well, that's maybe not nine. Does three, not, it four. does not matter at and all. No one, like, you'd, you'd have to beat like 11 and one Toledo for someone to notice you beat a good Toledo. Uh, well, you the could, only way you could have made Cincinnati 11 and one, that would have mattered. Um, but no, but no other group of five school or less. They yeah. they essentially are all the same <laughs> school with very few exceptions. BYU. Unless you, ri- unless you BYU rise above. Yeah, BYU, Cincinnati, I think, you know, Boise State for sure. most right. years, yeah. but very few of those teams are going to move a needle for anybody. All right, so we're going to wrap up this segment here. Try to be pretty quick about this. Uh, talking about Brian Kelly, his interview with Associated Press, Ralph Russo. Uh, Notre Dame uh, apparently prevented him from winning a national title. 
because they they didn't expand the Goog in 2016 when he first wanted it, mainly because he was probably four and eight at that time. I'm being sarcastic here, but yeah, the real reason thought, the national title is the pre cooked food, Tim, and you know it. Yeah, that's yeah the pre cooked food, which is really a a bit of a fallacy. But I'm not going to get into all that. But you know, I just and and I want to say that you know when you look at the story that Ralph Russo wrote, I mean he. I'm sure the interview was much longer than the few snippets of comments that we got from Brian Kelly. And so the, the quotes were cherry picked and handpicked, but Brian Kelly being Brian Kelly and not being able to control himself had to take shots at, at Notre Dame along the way here. And I understand, you know, I understand him making the comparisons. I don't know why he would think that Notre Dame would handle everything like I mean, to the letter of the law of the the way the SEC runs their program, that's unrealistic. You should have always known that. But I just thought that some of the comments were petty, and uh, Brian Kelly being Brian, Brian Kelly, he couldn't help himself but to be a jerk that he sometimes is, and he was in this instance. Oh, that was good. Um, I I mean, I agree with him that Notre Dame is behind in terms of nutrition and that part of the facilities. I mean, there's a reason why Notre Dame's nutritionist left in a heartbeat with Brian Kelly. It's like the resources afforded to that part of college football down there are totally different than they are at Notre Dame. I found it hilarious that Brian Kelly stepped in a pile of his own making when he talked about how in Louisiana, he can get in his car and drive to see recruits. Whereas at Notre Dame, he had to get on a plane and fly around as if head coaches can be on the year for 52 weeks a year and not just six. <laughs> um, also the issue was Brian Kelly wouldn't text and call people, which has no bearing on geography at all. So the idea that he's going to go to LSU and win by putting in less effort for recruiting, I just found absolutely hysterical. I was cackling while reading that quote. Yeah, the I, the part that turned me off was that he was. I felt like I was looking for something student athlete centered. I was pushing more for the student athlete. I wanted right. to see that. Yes, he, 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 yes, the student athlete was at the forefront of his mind of everything. Yeah, that he did. first of all, yeah, that that part too. But, I mean, Notre Dame's Notre Dame looks out for their student athletes. It might not have the exact same approach looking out for student athletes as LSU does, but it was just a. It was yet another. It was a part that just drove kind of got under my skin a little bit because it has nothing to do with that, Brian. <laughs> it's not that much to do with the reason you left is that you're looking out for the student athlete. Let's, let's be fair. You just, just don't say though. Can't you just show up and say, I needed a new challenge. I was kind of done with it. I think they were kind of done with me. I think I can win here. And this program is going to be a hundred percent committed to winning football games and raising great student athletes. Was it Notre Dame? Yes, but we hit a crossroads. Done. No one cares about your interview anymore like that. It's just not. Right. not I mean, to say to say that he had, he did everything that he could. Well, that's ridiculous because to, of to win. Yeah, I mean, from the from the the recruiting part of it is that I mean that's just that's a ridiculous statement to make, and he knows it deep down. But I'm sure he has everything at his fingertips now, and that's and that's great. And so now um, he shouldn't have any excuses uh, at LSU and shouldn't use any but he will probably need to because well, when he, what, I mean, what, what, when he played he it, to join the AL East, he is unfortunately joining the 
mid nineties to early two thousands AL East with Joe Torrey on the other end. And he's on the Red Sox. So he's about to get it handed to him by that guy because the AL East is the Alabama Crimson Tide and those dominant Yankees of 20 years ago. But that's the AL East he is in. To me, it took an awful lot for him to say something that would want me to comment on him four months, more than four months since he left Notre Dame. I, 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 I've given it all the thought that's that's necessary because it just doesn't it just doesn't ma- it, doesn't it doesn't matter anymore. And there's an irony here because he wants a greater challenge, and he couldn't get Notre Dame over the hump, but he was a did a fantastic job coaching Notre Dame, and he couldn't beat Alabama, and he's going to do a good job coaching LSU, and he's going to be eight and one or nine and zero going to that game, and he's going to get handed to him by the exact same team that would have handed it to him in the playoff game against Notre Dame. Every so time. Yeah, no, I believe that that's true. Uh, you know, when you look at losing a national championship game by 28, uh, uh, ACC championship game by 24, a playoff game by 27, a playoff game by 17, and never won a major bowl, man, there's a lot of people responsible for all of his failures. I uh, I think this was in Dennis Dodd's version of this story, which was a little bit more extensive than what Ralph wrote, but there was a a, a sort of descriptive scene about you know, major bowl trophies and things like that in his office. And I'm like, huh, what, when were, when were those, when did, what was the last major bowl that he won? I, I don't, uh, yeah, I couldn't quite recall uh, when that was. Segment two coming up, burning up the boards. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com slash support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics. Segment two, burning up the boards. We start with a question from David Lopez five. In the past, we've heard a lot of good things about Riley Mills from a size and athleticism standpoint. Although I thought he played well last season. Have you seen anything in your practice viewings or heard anything behind the scenes that indicate he's starting to take the next steps in becoming a legit NFL prospect? I don't think NFL prospect is something. Yeah, there's a a few steps. There's a few steps there for him to take before we get there. But I think an important step is he is a versatile guy that is going to be used that way. I think he will start at strong side defensive end, but take some reps inside in in certain packages. Um, If Howard Cross is as good as everybody is saying, as Marcus Freeman and Al Golden are saying, and Al Washington, then you have a one-two punch at defensive tackle. So maybe Riley Mills takes 90% of his snaps at strong side defensive end, and the rest is in packages. I am really intrigued to see it, though. I like to see his length out there. It gives them gives them a big, a big anchor on that strong side, too. I mean, for a, for a middle that's not that big, they all of a sudden have a really big anchor out there. I, I think he can and he can thrive out there, and it's, it's his third year. This is the year he's supposed to thrive. Last year wasn't the year he was necessarily supposed to thrive. You know, we just put the cart before the horse sometimes. Is I mean he's twenty six games away from being an NFL prospect, but right. I, if I had to guess, I think he'll get there. Um, 
I think the Howard Cross development. I think we're, are we all sort of learning to speak Marcus Freeman in the early stages? I mean, whereas he is, he is very liberal in the compliments he gives out to players, but I think he's given enough out to Howard Cross to make me think that that is above and beyond just oh, like Washington. he's having a good spring. Al Washington too is like that, that dude. Yeah. Is, yeah. He's like, he goes, there's exceptions to the rule in terms of size, referring to his size, obviously. And he goes, yep. he is exception to that rule. That's, Speaking of beat up when I talk to him too, Cross must club people. (laughs) (laughs) Heavy hands. Those are boxing gloves that he plays with. Yeah, Yeah. Tim. In accordance with what you're saying about Al Washington, you had asked him about whether Justin Adamalola was cross training, and he pretty much said no. He's at Viper, and to me, that's a sign of two things. One, they they're they're looking at Riley Mills as being their starting strong side defensive end, and I mean, I would presume that that means Nana Safo Mensa and Alex Ehrensberger are doing something. Yeah, otherwise uh, you would have Justin Adam right. and them both up. Both right, ex- exactly. So, you know, <laughs> I found it interesting because I know you guys know I said it on multiple broadcasts uh, or uh, podcasts through the last season that, you know, I want to see Riley Mills get off blocks better. And when, yeah. Tim, you were there with me when we were talking to Al Washington, and I just said – is he get is getting off blocks an issue with him? And he said, yeah, it's, you know, keep moving his feet. So at least if somebody finally validated what I was actually saying there, but uh, yeah, I do think I agree with you, Pete, that I think 26 games for now, he will be in that position, but he does have to keep moving his feet. And he, what he needs to do is take better advantage of his assets. He has a lot of assets. He needs to take better advantage of them. And he's going to get an opportunity this fall. One thing, uh, and I wrote a story about Mills um, this past week on Irish Illustrated. It's a publication we have. Um, he did mention that, you know, I didn't have an early enrollee spring. There was COVID anyway. I didn't have August training camp as a freshman. It's like, those aren't excuses, but I. No, true. but it's, those are reasons. <laughs> those are I reasons. I didn't have those things, you know. Yeah. We really don't, we really didn't get it, I don't think. And there's no reason for Brian Kelly to tell us this. They just didn't have training camp during August of 2020. It was let's prepare our bodies and also prepare for the season and prepare for Duke in the first few games. Like they didn't go through the two week training camp of becoming the tough, you know, the football player that where you're not preparing for any games. They, right. they just missed a lot of time. And Harry, he talked about it too. Like the linemen didn't have what they normally had. Yeah. He stand, he stand talk about talk, you know, as an offensive line coach, I mean, that is really, really critically missed time. And that, and that's fair. I, you know, I want to be fair to Riley Mills because I do think he's going to be good. I don't, I don't know that missed time necessarily uh, impacts moving your feet as you start to, as you start to play and get opportunities to play a little bit more, but that I, that that's fair. Fair enough. Next from Statman 72, Marcus Freeman seems to be very high on the defensive backs. While at least to me, Stucky seems non-committal about the receivers. How much of the strong defensive back performance can be attributed to mediocre wide receiver performance? I think that's a that's a very fair question, but I, I try to look at it the same way that I do when evaluating a high school prospect, regardless of the competition that he's going against. For example, when I came out of the full practice that we saw a couple of weeks ago, uh, Tariq Bracey impressed me with just his movement. I didn't care who was around him or, or what they were doing. It was, that looks like a much better version of Tariq Bracey in and of it in and of himself uh but fair question yeah i mean fair question because we know the state of Notre Dame's wide receiver core 
Although the things that we're hearing, again, we talk about praise, the praise that that we heard uh, about Braden Lindsay on Saturday coming from Tommy Reese and, and, uh, and Marcus Freeman is impressive. And they, man, do they need him to step up and be a consistent player, which he has been really unable to do for the last uh, four years, uh, three years while actually getting playing time. I think it's a fair depiction. Uh, there's better talent at DB than there is at receiver right now. Um, you know, that, they at DB, they've already had their Brandon Joseph graduate transfer in at receiver. They have not. So that, you know, if they had a Brandon Joseph at receiver, would probably look at that position a little bit differently. You know, at DB, you can have Ryan Barnes, Philip Riley, Chance Tucker, Jaden Mickey. Uh, Mickey, all sort of like take some time to develop at receiver. You're like Lorenzo Styles and holy crap, we need Deion Colsey and Jaden Thomas who are you know, in a, in a normal world, we wouldn't hear a whole lot from them, but Notre Dame has just recruited that position so poorly that um, I I think that the receiver position is, I mean, if you had to rank all the positions, we would put receiver last, would we not? Yeah, and just, and numbers too. Like, think about it this way, with Wilkins out and Davis out, it's Lindsey, it's Styles is the best one. He still, he'll still needs to take that step, but it'd be really shocking if he doesn't. And then Lindsey's by far the second best receiver in practice right now. And you have never in your life thought Braden Lindsay is by far the second best wide receiver Notre Dame has all around, no matter what. I mean, Jaden Thomas is making moves as we have heard. He still doesn't have a catch. I mean, Deion Colsey, you know, <laughs> his best play happened mid season and he kept playing Deion Cole. I wrote about Colsey. Colsey played cause he had to. Yeah. And Colsey didn't go in there and take that number two spot. They lost Joe Wilkins. And they yeah, didn't have anybody else. Um, the last so, thing he needed this spring was to to have the concussion and yeah, a setback. Yeah, you need Colsey and Thomas to really have great summers, or, or one of them has to have an outstanding summer. The other one has to keep rising. It's just it is a numbers game, man. I just named their five receivers. Four. I mean, think about that. Now they need two grad grad transfer receivers. Uh, there's no doubt about that. I'm going to jump ahead, and because we're talking about this topic and tie it in with a question from CMU Pens fan, who I, when, when I talked about the regulars last week, contributing to uh, the, the podcast cause, I believe I left CM, CMU Pens fan out and Lord knows he submits a question every week. Uh, so a question, how much will Notre Dame rely on Tobias Merriweather this season, even if Notre Dame pulls off a transfer portal wide receiver? Oh, I mean, how many freshman wide receivers have we seen flash in August and then we don't hear anything from them? Yeah, but um, if they don't get portal receivers, Pete, it's just like Deion Colsey last year. He has to play. Yeah, but, which was not right. good, right? Like Deion Colsey's freshman season was indicative of a player not ready. You know, he needed more development. Um, man, Tobias Merriweather to me seems like a long, lanky, athletic kid who – if you're long and lanky, um, that means you're probably a little bit underweight for a college level. But if, if he's got some unique, like freaky athleticism um, that translates to the college level, then I would be more than willing to concede. But he can't block on the run. Like I don't care at that point. <laughs> yeah, just like just you would. Do, you have to put him on the field because it's like I think you guys. I don't know which one of you wrote about Deion Colsey, but I mean the point is like they don't have another body like Deion Colsey um Merriweather is not really like Deion Colsey but he's as close to Deion Colsey as anybody that they would probably have I think 
this staff, Reese and Stucky, will know that there's a numbers game this time around too and say, we got to find a role for Merriweather, even if he's not 100% ready to do everything for us. You don't, you can find a role for Merriweather. As Pete said, look, you try to, you try to turn a freshman into a complete football player. That's because you have guys in front of them. You have the luxury of trying to turn them into complete football players like Equinemius St. Brown barely playing from scrimmage as a true freshman because he had guys in front of him that were good at football. And then he breaks out as a redshirt freshman. It's Merriweather's going to have to play unless they strike gold. You're also yeah. assuming that Davis can't get hurt again and Braden Lindsay can't get a soft tissue injury or one of the <laughs> soft Dion Colsey or Jaden Thomas. Jaden Thomas is a physical Joe dude. Wilkins. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how Wilkins can be back playing in September. With well, you've you've got to, you, ha- you have to get two grad transfers. You, you yeah. just do. I, I don't, you know, I mean, can't you Tobias Merriweather. First of all, I like Tobias Merriweather coming out of high school more than I like Dion Colsey just for a little bit perspective. I mean, back shoulder throws, right? You, right. you can at least create back shoulder throws for, for Tobias Merriweather. I, I, with that kind of length, and I, you would think that that would be something that they could add. And here's a, I don't, I, I hate to do this because I don't like the whole, as soon as you bring it up, then you see threads with just Dell in it. And But we are accustomed to the, the slow development of yeah. wide receivers under Dell Alexander. Can Chancey Stuckey, can he speed up the process with the receivers? Hey, Pete, uh, there was a funny question. Um, I think it was when you were on break uh, when they asked, it was Eric Hansen asked Stucky, what's in the water down in Waco? They all run four twos. And Stucky's like, yeah, they, that's how they recruit. Everybody there is super fast. I was like, wow, where's this question going to go? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Stucky probably showed up. was like, all right, where are all the four two guys? Let's go. Yep. I'm pretty sure that he did. <laughs> Question from B54. I love Harry Heastan being back. Any surprise that offensive line recruits that have been on campus with guys like Quentin Nelson around and others haven't decided to jump on board? Not sure Notre Dame leads for any offensive line recruits outside of Charles Jagusa. I'm going to let Pete answer this other than timelines. Um, I am never surprised when someone doesn't jump on board after a late March, early April visit for the next recruiting cycle. We knew Billy Shrouth wanted to commit to Notre Dame for a very long time. It took him a while to jump on board, right? It's, yeah. It's hard. To, they don't jump on board right away. Yeah. It's, I mean, there's not a, not a lot of surprise there for me. Like if they, if Jagusa committed to Michigan in a couple of weeks, then, then that would be a surprise. But if you um, jump on board elsewhere, right, in, in April. That's, yeah. They're in on enough guys, and they have really – oversigned at that position the last couple cycles that I think they can afford to actually be a little bit picky. Um, I mean, I know O'Malley wants 18 healthy scholarship offensive linemen for spring practice, but um, weeds out the other weeds out the ones you don't need. Very, very difficult, Tim. Um, So if they, if they sign three, they could get away with three in this class. Um, I'd prefer that they didn't, but um, if you get Jagusa as like a top 50 player, and then you're finding a couple of their four. I mean, they're only in on really four-star guys. They'll probably get three of them, and maybe they take a flyer on a developmental guy late. I understand the question because traditionally offensive linemen, I I, I, I know over four decades, I, traditionally offensive linemen have committed, have yeah. been among the first commitments in Notre Dame, and I'm sure it's that way across the board. Timelines, though, you guys know, I, I mean, putting timelines on things as to when you expect a recruit to commit 
I mean, we just, we don't have the knowledge base of each individual kid and what he's going through in the recruiting process and what he's looking for and where he's going to visit and when he's going to visit. Timelines can be a bit of a waste of time. I understand the perspective of the question from, from B54. Uh, and I, and I think it's an, it's an accurate portrayal of the situation. What did but, you guys think of Harry? He saying, uh, the first time we talked to him, um, he likes the makeup of the room because there's so many different levels of experience in class. I thought that was, I thought an offensive line coach would be like, I like coming into 10 seniors and juniors that have all played or yeah. something like that. He, he, he said he liked the diversity makeup of the class in terms of maybe it's just because you can push guys to. I don't know that. Not get frustrated. I don't know that I put a whole lot of weight on that statement. Okay. Yeah. It's like, I, 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 I like know. that we have a first round pick at left tackle, but the diversity is that we also have a first round pick at right tackle. Like I, I would like that room too. If yeah, I was that's, what, that's what he, yeah, that's what he likes. He likes, he likes having Joe Alton, Blake Fisher. He's, he's glad his two best, play, two of his three best players on the line. Boy, and he, boy, and he can't sure leave. said, could he have, could he have said any more positive things about Rocco Spindler than he did last week? No, that was great to hear. Cause I don't yeah. think it rehearsed from him. So I think that was great to hear. It's a, it's a different Harry. He stand, don't you think? I've always enjoyed the interviews with Harry though. I no, never- I have too. No, I have too. But I, I just, and I, I really feel like I was remiss during that time that I didn't just say, and maybe you dealt with this the, when you first met him uh, or, or got together with him, Tim. And I didn't, I didn't interview him that day. Just, I mean, a rejuvenated. Yeah, Harry we did. Stand. Yeah. You yeah. did. Yes. yes. What was it? What was his comment at that, that point? I don't remember. I love, I love teaching. Yeah. I love teaching kids play offensive line and Notre Dame kids are the best to teach. Like that was kind of his. Yeah. Get the feeling he yeah. loves teaching college and he Notre Dame's his favorite place. So that adds up. Yeah, no, I agree. And I like talking to him. I'm looking forward to talking to him again with all the interview opportunities that we've had Uh question from, I jumped around here. Uh, Joseph Ramos, Tyler Buckner over under eight and a half rushing touchdowns in 2022 to, to change things up a little bit here. I feel like the over would be a good thing. So I'll <laughs> bet the over. Yeah, I'll take the over too. I think, I mean, health would be the reason he wouldn't, <clears throat> would be the, obviously uh, that that works for any football player though. <laughs> if you got to stay healthy to, to score nine touchdowns, so that would be. I guess he'd be like about the fourth guy ever to do that at Notre Dame, but th- he'd be the third in the last six years. So fifth guy to do that at Notre Dame: Tony Rice, Rick Meyer, Kaiser. Didn't book get to nine? Did book get to nine? <clears throat> at least it's just like you you could not help but have an efficient red zone offense if right. your quarterback had nine rushing touchdowns so it's no, like I think it would be, be impossible not to i think he'll get there if he's healthy for sure yeah. yeah and in accordance with that i mean you know there was talk about him being a red zone and he did and he was i mean there were there were occasions where he was but we thought we'd see more of him in the red zone so considering that is a strength of his and they knew that as soon as he arrived on campus uh, I think I think Joseph Ramos sets a good line at eight and a half, but Book I would got have nine to exactly say, last year. Okay, I'd have to yeah, I'd have to say over because he's more inclined to to run in the red zone even than Ian Book was, just because they're going to have actual designed runs for for uh, right. for read option stuff. From Jim F, probably Jim FKY Kentucky, maybe it appears Christopher Vizzini is about to commit to Clemson. While it appears Dante Moore's commitment is trending the right way for Notre Dame, does the success of this class hinge on getting his commitment since the only other apparent option is going away? I wouldn't say the success of the class does because that doesn't change the fact that you get a bunch of other quality football players. But, you know, I, 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 
I get the reason for asking the question because uh, I, I, I like Christopher Vizina a lot. I like Dante more, more. Um, if you were to lose him, or if you were not to be able to secure Dante Moore in December with Christopher Vizina committing here shortly, that'd be a, that'd be, that'd be a massive blow to the quarterback position. And I guess you could say it'd be a massive blow to the class of 2023 too, but, uh, how many podcasts in a row will this be? I think in December when it's time for players to sign, I believe that Dante Moore will sign with Notre Dame. I think the success of the class does him, John Dante Moore's <laughs> commitment. Because of the quarterback recruiting of late, other than, I think it does too. I, you would have to get, you know, you know what I'm saying though. Hard. I mean, that doesn't, that doesn't change the fact that the, that you sign a bunch of other great right, right. prospects, but I, I hear yes. what you're saying. But like it's like, how do we eva- we evaluate Notre Dame differently now than we did five six years ago? It's like so much of it. Like, is it are you competing with Ohio State and Georgia and Alabama? And you have to have somebody like Dante Moore to do that. You do. Um, so if you don't, then I would say the way that Marcus Freeman talks about recruiting and where Notre Dame can go, I, you would have to take that as as a loss. Yeah. If you're Notre Dame, if you didn't get somebody like that. Regardless of who else you signed. Yeah, yes or no. Yes or no. Dante Moore signs with Notre Dame in December. Can't say maybe. Sure. <laughs> can I say sure? You, you can yeah. say sure, I guess. Sure. <laughs> I, I, say, I, see, I see your point, Tim, but technically, if you don't get Dante Moore, you have to get the next best version of Dante Moore. The I next agree. Level. Or it's oh, you, you, Tyler Buckner has to be great, and okay. your next quarterback has right. to be great. I, I, I think I think we're talking semantics, so I, yeah. I, I agree with you guys. You're right. <laughs> You'll concede the point. I'll, I'll, I'll concede <laughs> the point because he is that – I mean, he he is that good. He is that good. And so, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and concede the point there. From Dashing Domer, I was very impressed with Jabran Payne's high school film. His running style reminds me of Joe Mixon, even though he's obviously a smaller back. How would you compare him to what the Irish currently have on the roster? Um, I think the four running backs that Notre Dame has now are all better than Cedric Irvin. I think they're all better than Lamar, another running back that Notre Dame is considering. Now, Payne would be in, in this class. I, you know, I really like his game. The guy that I would compare him to is Tari and Folston. Only I think he's faster because he has that skips Folston. And now we're talking about the, the healthy, of course, we always the are. pre-injury yeah. version of Folston. He has that pain has that, uh, that skip step. That is just a, it's a work of art when you see him execute it, but he's really, really quick and he's really, really fast. I like his game. I would put him in the range of the other four, whereas I wouldn't the other two running backs that I talked about. I have not watched a lot of him, um, but I understand the take. Like, I think O'Malley's made this point. You're never over 85, um, and you're even less likely to be over 85 now, the way the transfer portal is set up with freedom of movement. Um, Running back is a pretty injury plagued position, as Payne could tell you, uh, based on his high school career. Yeah, so that's a big concern. That's a if that's you, a significant concern. Kind of kind of a luxury take. Um, and if he works out for you, awesome. Uh, if he doesn't, I think that's okay too. 
Yeah, I would definitely, it's definitely a take for me because, you know, four in the room this year, it's going to become three really fast, right? It's That's the way it works, that position. It's not going to be four in the room in mid-September. It's going to be three. So I really like the idea of adding a quality fifth. Um, boy, Torian Folsa got a raw deal, huh? He was the starting running back on that 2015 line where everybody they handed the ball to couldn't stop getting a thousand yards. Before he got hurt, he was good. Yeah, he was good. Have you seen, yeah. have you seen the guy in recent modern years fall off so much from that ACL injury? Like he did, like he, he was nowhere near the runner when he came back. Yeah, close. I mean, I, I, I agree with you. I, and I'm going to say a name and it, it his drop off wasn't as great. But I thought Armando Allen's injury his senior year in high school really, really prevented us from ever seeing what he was capable of doing. Denver, Max- for, oh, go ahead, Denver Maximus, what is the benefit of having all this access to players and coaches? What is the reason Marcus Freeman wants this to happen? We are meeting players we would have never met until much later in their careers. It's great. Don't get me wrong, but it's a 180 degree turn from what we were used to seeing. This is Pete's line. I'm going to let him say it. No. Uh, is it the best advertisement for Notre Dame football or Notre Dame football players? This has been true since the beginning of time. Some coaches understand this. Some coaches do not. Marcus Freeman does. Yeah, completely agree. And the coaching staff is a group of grown men that can uh, explain things that are going on for the football team that they coach, and they do a good job of it. They convey their message well. Okay, Not, let's, nothing goes crazy when they start talking. We right. So let's think about let's think about all the players that we've had the opportunity to speak to here in the last few weeks. How have they represent themselves? Yeah, just pretty fantastic. damn good. Fantastic. Pretty damn good. Hey, it's as Pete said. I mean, it's the Notre Dame way. It's what I grew up with as a journalist um, and as a as a young fan it's it is the absolute best advertisement for notre dame if you want to impress other recruits if you more importantly if you want to impress parents of recruits families of recruits just watch the notre dame players conduct interviews yeah every coach and every player every single one we've seen and i will tell you um i don't watch the player interviews with the camera those are separate from our interviews but if anyone seems nervous on camera they're not nervous when they're talking to five reporters around a round table. Like it's yeah. maybe that if you think someone's nervous, they're not nervous when they're hanging out. <laughs> Especially like in the NIL era where like how much people know you sort of can be monetized. Like at this point, there is zero reason not to do it. Um, unless you have a player who's incapable of handling themselves, which I, I don't know who that would be. I mean, we've covered some guys like that. Yeah. Who really, yeah. Str- really struggled. Um, but in some ways for those guys, it's even more reason to do it because you have to have some growth. Well, Zeke, Zeke Mata, you guys have said one of yep. the hardest guys to interview as a freshman. Oof, yes. A spokesman for the 2012 team. Yep. Like that's Harrison Smith, right, Tim? Wasn't that one of yours? Her- well? Yeah, Harrison yeah. Smith. You know, in a lot of instances, it's just it's shyness and just being being nervous. Justin Justin Tuck is the all-time example. <laughs> he's the all-time, yeah, he's the all-timer. Quentin Nelson didn't didn't uh certainly didn't <laughs> did he ever enjoy. grow out of that i don't know if he did i'm not i'm not <laughs> sure that he did that's why that's why i wondered, mind i think <laughs> that's why i wondered whether he would actually be named a captain but his yeah. sheer ability just kyle rudolph I, I, I remember talking to kyle rudolph as a freshman i'm like this is painful that's and by interesting the end, i don't i don't really, really remember good. that i don't really hear he was addressing the team the other day exactly i mean that's he's 
You know, that's that's part of growing up. That's what's yeah. supposed to happen when you're in I, college. I would dare also, say that, that wouldn't have happened if Brian Kelly was here. Kyle Rudolph addressing the team. Go ahead, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> that's very true. That's very true. Kyle Rudolph would have politely declined. Well, he wouldn't have come to practice. But um, I would last thing on his point, I would say that that many of the interviews that the players have given have been better than the interviewees asking questions. And I'm not excluding myself from that. I'm just saying that's how impressive the Notre Dame players are. Question from RPM Go Irish. Due to Marcus Freeman, Tyler Butner, former players returning and lots of recruits and commits visiting, it seems like there's more excitement than usual around this year's spring game. Do you anticipate a larger crowd than normal? And is Freeman changing up the uh, format at all? I anticipate a larger crowd with a new head coach that people like. Um, I think it would be a really big crowd if Tyler Buckner was an early enrollee <laughs> like Jimmy Clausen was with a new coach coming in, because that's the biggest crowd ever, right? The, the Clausen. Yeah. Coach. I mean, indicative of a really transformational season as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, I do think it'll be a bigger crowd than usual because you can't have um, the last eight years of Brian Kelly. And that's not a Brian Kelly thing. That's, that's a fan base that you don't want to go watch the same coach all the time that you don't absolutely love. So I think it'd be a bigger crowd than usual. Nice day. Well, I, I mean, that's why I'm really – you're always hoping for a, a great weather day for the Blue yeah. Bowl game, but you really want to see that this time. Uh, I'm going to be contacting a bunch of former players that I know are going to be in town. Um, the, for, the, the amount of former players coming back, it might be, I mean, unprecedented, just because of the way Brian Kelly handled it, the way Marcus Freeman is handling it. Uh, the first year of it all, I, you know, if this was Marcus Freeman's 12th year, yeah, there would be a lot, there would be a lot less people coming than there were in his fifth year or his fourth year, mm -hmm. just by the very nature of a, a coach being there and, and, and it being the same, but it is going to be, I'm really, really hoping for great weather because, and I would encourage people listening this to, to come to the blue goal game because it should be, you know, should be a pretty special atmosphere that, that Marcus Freeman has done really a tremendous job of creating. I'm trying to look up on the fly, the highest attended game. And I'm not, I, I mean, I know it's 2007, but like Brian Kelly's first game and stuff like that. So why don't you guys ask this question? I'll keep doing the internet thing here. 41,000 in 2006, 35,000 in 81. So that's Faust's first year. That's a lot. 30, 32,000 in Holtz's first year. Uh, 29,000 in Holtz's third year. That was right after the title. Uh, let's see. 90, I don't remember this. 1997, Norton conducted a pair of blue-gold scrimmages at Moose Crow Stadium. I forgot about that. 9,700. Hey, speaking of which, remember how fun it was to be at Labar for that blue-gold game? That was a good one. That was a fun one. I enjoyed that. It was a beautiful day, too. Yeah, yeah. We were outside, so, and it was a beautiful day, so we enjoyed it. Three of the, high, three of the five biggest there were um, first-year coaches or Jimmy Clausen. So this should be a high yeah. well done. Yeah. yeah. Looking forward to it. Last question of our uh, April 11th podcast is from Wakeham Up 408. If you could give Marcus Freeman advice specific to Notre Dame as a first time head coach, what would it be? We're all going to be the similar, maybe. I've talked about it before. They hired Al Golden. Use your resources. Vet your resources. You know, you you listen to Al Golden. You don't do everything Al Golden says. You listen to Tommy Reese. Tommy Reese doesn't make your decisions. I just think use the resources you have 
but be the decisive voice. Uh, that I would agree with. Uh, I would sign Dante Moore if I could. Um, that would be my advice. <laughs> Keon Keely and Dante Moore. Are yeah, I mean, that's big. That's class. big right there. Um, yeah, I think that don't be afraid to screw up. Um, I He's going to be so much better as a head coach a year from now than he is oh, yeah. today. Oh, man. And I think keeping that in mind while you're learning that is is critical um opposed to just trying to maintain what's already here which i mean the way that he talks about enhancement and pushing it forward and challenging everything it certainly seems like he is he's sort of got that mentality already figured out i can't tim you mentioned vetted resources vetting resources i can't imagine how you could vet more resources than than he has and starting with lou holtz i mean that was the one that I was probably most excited to hear about. It's just, it's just smart. I, everybody should do that. Everybody, everybody should, should, everybody should do, that. should do that. Yeah. And, and I realize as you get further into your career, you're the one that, that people are talking to for, for advice as opposed <laughs> to the other way around, but no, everybody should do that. It's why I always, I didn't, I didn't want my assistant coaches to tell me what I wanted to hear. Tell me what I need to hear. And that's what, that's the whole vetting. That's the whole vetting uh, process. I, my, my advice also would be to don't make excuses. And I don't, and I don't think that he will, but the last thing, now there are reasons, not right. every reason that, to, that you give is an excuse. It's, it, it, it will be interpreted that way by fans. If you lose, Oh, you're just making excuses. no, in many instances, there are reasons for things not going your way. I have an off-topic, on-topic there, but this is a tangent. Brian Kelly gets killed for his press conference throwing, quote-unquote, throwing players under the bus history. How can you be honest about things at all without throwing someone a little, like, not throwing them under the bus, but naming a player? You have to just not name a player in a loss. In today's yeah, and- era of journalism – and how that will be trumpeted out there that you've named a player loss. Like, well, you just couldn't, you could not answer a question honestly after the Michigan game in 2011, if you didn't mention something that happened with Gary Gray in the secondary, right? You could just not answer the question. You have to just not answer it. That's, but that's the only way, right? It is. And and we are, I know I am constantly asking questions about what does player a need to do to improve? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of times, you know, that can be the response to that can be interpreted as throwing a player under the bus. I will continue to ask that question because if you get a response, it's the kind of thing that you need in order to balance your evaluation of a player. And at the end of the day, our job, my job is to, in commenting about players is to evaluate them on both sides, positive and negative. Um, and you're right, Tim, it is, it can be a little bit tricky, but when you start, you know, that was the thing with Bob Davey that that struck me immediately that he was, as soon as he had problems, as soon as he experienced failure, a lot of it sounded like excuses. Yeah, yeah. And so it's a balancing act. Everybody loves Marcus Freeman now. They didn't like him nearly as much. Or I shouldn't say near. They didn't like the way the Fiesta Bowl happened. If you lose to Ohio State, they're going to like him a little bit less. 
And if you lose to BYU in North Carolina, now we're talking about a completely different realm. Although I do think that he is going to get the benefit of the doubt to a large extent his first year, just because it's the first time going through it as a head coach. In accordance with what you're saying, Pete, that a year from now, he is going to be an immeasurably better football coach than he is right now. Yeah, I just, I lean into that growth mindset. I think that's cool. Um, I, you know, some of the things with Brian Kelly and his press conference quips, there's a staleness to them only because we were doing it for 12 years. I'm sure Marcus Freeman could say the same thing five years from now that he says now, and we'd be like, Oh God, that again, like what's the traits of Marcus Freeman. I'm sure there is something. We just don't know what it is yet. Um, So that's, that's part well, of it. Cha- everything cha- is challenge fresh. everything is becoming a catchphrase. Yeah. Which is, you know, Hey, you gotta, you gotta have buzzwords that people, when you, you can distill a complex thing down to something that's two words. So you can move on to the next thing, challenge everything. Other players know what you're talking about. Yeah. You can, as a coach, you, you can only come up with so many different ways of phrasing things to your team. Cause you're addressing your team every single day. So the players will start, you know, they'll, 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 that'll be a natural process as well. Anyway, let's wrap it up right there. Uh, we will come back on Friday, uh, this Friday, April 15th, with another podcast as we go into uh, Blue Gold Game Week, as we uh, we are going to do that, are we not? That is sure. good Friday. Yeah, we have two, uh, yeah. We have two sessions. Yeah, we do. We have, we, have to, we have to do that. That is good Friday. We will have, we will have a podcast on Friday, April 15th. And then we'll get into uh, we'll get into uh, blue gold game week. I'll be interested to see how this draft process and us in in attendance to uh, for that process uh, exactly how that works. When I last asked about it, I, I don't think Notre Dame had figured out the logistics of that as it related to the media being being present for it. Had Pete, have you heard anything further about how they're going to handle that? I have not, but I also have not asked about it. it yeah. Um... It that'll be could, that'll be could be interesting week. i mean we're we're always asking about like who drafts who on swat teams i don't know yeah. if they'll just they'll do like a top 20 picks and then the rest of the roster will get i can't imagine we're going to be there to see who was picked last that's what i'm saying what we're gonna like we're going to want to leave before it's done or no no no, no. like out. no like they'll be like hey, we're gonna have each team drafts 20 players and then the coaches oh, okay. fill in the rest okay i got gotcha. you i got gotcha. you Fair enough. There have to be some guidelines because you can't just let them, okay, pick who you want. Don't you think they'll like choose, okay, now we're going to pick offensive linemen. Then that yeah. way you can fairly divvy it up. Who's your first pick? Buckner. Who's your second pick? Pine. I got you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't Good luck with that jelly, gold team. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting. All right, we're going to wrap up with that. I want to make a quick shout out, uh, a Nordane baseball shout out. I had uh, recently had the opportunity to get to meet John Brannigan and his brother, Mike Brannigan. John is the father of Notre Dame's third baseman, Jack Brannigan. Mike is his uncle, and Notre Dame is on another one of their tears. They've won eight in a row. They've swept two back-to-back ACC um, series here in each of the last two weekends, and Notre Dame baseball is uh, riding high again at 20-5 and five and a half game out of uh, first place behind Louisville in the, in the ACC Atlantic. So uh, that's my shout-out to Notre Dame baseball. And we will be back on Friday, April 15th for our next podcast. We appreciate you joining us for Irish Illustrated Insider.